We want everyone to be able to follow along as we study God's Word. <clears throat> so if you find yourself without a Bible this morning, uh, there's men coming down the aisles right now. Just raise your hand and they'll be glad to give you uh, a Bible at this time. If you're visiting with us on uh, this morning, on Sunday mornings, we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we find ourselves in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And we'll pick things up in verse 9. Also Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it does inside of us. Thank you, Lord, for the passages that just rearrange all the furniture in our lives. They make major changes and Lord we thank you also for the passages in your word that fine-tune our lives move smaller but important things into their proper place and we pray Lord that whatever this passage is intended to do in each of our hearts today by your spirit that it would do exactly that Lord we want to please you in every area of our lives and we thank you for this instruction obviously needed instruction in the area of prayer and so speak to us through your word with the witness of your Holy Spirit this morning and father we pray for the Miller family we pray for Jess and David and his family and Steve and his family and the friends and family friends of Evelyn and we ask you're the God of all comfort, and we pray, Lord, that the amount of comfort and the form that your comfort needs to take in their lives, that it would take that today. We pray that they would hear your voice above all other voices in the middle of what is a, a very um, swirling kind of situation. And so you know how to brood upon the chaos and bring order to it, and we pray that you would do that, Lord, in each one of their lives. We thank you for Evelyn's faith in you. We thank you for the confidence that we have that she stands before your throne this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your victory. Thank you for sharing it with her, Lord. Thank you for the hope that is ours, that is even beyond being touched by the deep sorrow that we feel. And we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
Jesus is speaking to an audience when he gives this parable that is made up of two very different kinds of people. One group that makes up this audience and this crowd that's listening to him is his disciples, his followers. But among his disciples is also a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And as we saw a number of weeks ago, Jesus has just instructed the disciples on the subject of prayer and essentially declaring to them and to us that the moral and the spiritual condition of the world in the last days will be such and, and create such a difficulty for us and a difficult environment for us as followers of Jesus that we're going to need to pray a lot to God in order to maintain perspective and not lose heart in the middle of all of it. Now, while on the subject of prayer, Jesus proceeds to tell a parable that is directed at the Pharisees. And not just the Pharisees 2,000 years ago that, he's, uh, that are present with him, but also to speak to the Pharisee that lives inside of every single one of us. We're all descendants of those same Adam and Eve. We all share the same gene pool. There's a Sadducee in all of us. Uh, there's a Pharisee in all of us. There's a scribe in all of us. There's a disciple in all of us. And so uh, it speaks to the Pharisee that's in each of us too. Again, I think it's important to remember that in the eyes of God, from his perspective, that prayer is a very, very simple thing. It is simply to talk to God. Whether I do it out loud or whether I do it privately in my heart, it, all it is is to just have a conversation with God. I talk, he listens, he talks, and I listen. And it's just talking with God in the way that we would talk to our very best friend. When you're talking with your very best friend, you don't have to overthink that conversation. You don't have to plan that conversation. You don't have to be eloquent in that conversation. You don't even have to make sense in that conversation. You don't even have to follow a particular order in a conversation with a good friend and a best friend because they'll order it for themselves. They know you well enough. So in prayer we're able to just be ourselves, pour out our heart to the Lord, and, uh, and then like in a conversation with a good friend as the exchange goes on back and forth, uh, both of us have a sense of when the conversation is, is ended and then you stop. And that's how it works with God too. And I can't emphasize enough, especially to those of you who are new Christians, just be yourself and talk with God. That's all He wants. That's what He enjoys. Now prayer is a very, very deep subject and is a very deep activity actually you know in the Bible but the but the activity itself is very very simple God wants it to be simple and I always think about in this vein a story that I heard a pastor tell many years ago at a pastor's conference and I repeat it every so often simply because I don't have a better illustration to make the same point and for the sake of Anyone that's new to the Lord or new walking with the Lord, I think it illustrates something that's very important. 
And this pastor, and I also count him as a friend, uh, recounted an incident that occurred on a Saturday at, at his church and how they decided to go out in their city, hand out tracts and evangelize within their city. And so they met in a, uh, in a particular place uh, it, it, down in the downtown area in a parking lot, prayed together before they went out, of course, and then prearranged that they would meet back in that parking lot and kind of exchange how things went for them and then pray together before they left. And so everyone out went out and they did all that they did and they came back and then it was time for everyone to pray. And so they began to pray. And, you know, sometimes when you've got a group of eight or ten people, it's kind of nice if the first person who prays uh, that the second person isn't on their immediate left or right because that starts to set... There's a lot, I think about a lot because it can kind of set the thing now where it's going to bounce all the way around in order. Sometimes it's, and that's great if that's what the Lord wants to do. Sometimes it's nice when it bounces to someone across the circle and then it just kind of goes wherever it goes. But anyway, it began to make its way around the circle in that kind of orderly fashion. And there was someone who was a brand new Christian that went out street witnessing, which is called, on that day, and it came their time to pray. And they began to pray this very kind of uh, halting, uh, uh, uneloquent prayer. And everyone went their way and started to head for home. And my pastor friend, as he was driving home, uh, he was thinking things over between him and the Lord. And he said, Lord, boy, that was really uncomfortable, you know, that kind of halting prayer and, and, and everything. And uh, and, and she, here she didn't really know how to pray. And the Lord just spoke to his heart, just a, that like white-hot light, you know, when he speaks to you. And he said to him, he said, Bob, she's the only one who did pray. And uh, sometimes we can, even as Christians, you can pray mindlessly, heartlessly. Uh, we can... Uh, Pray like grease lightning, and that's perfectly wonderful when it's, when it's sincere and our hearts and our minds are engaged. But maybe the rest of, of everyone was just kind of praying a little bit and their hearts and minds weren't engaged in what they were saying, and this person was. And that, always, that story always helps me, and I like true stories, but it reminds us that, that the eloquence isn't what's important to God. Now, a person can pray with great eloquence. They can pray with great speed and great clarity. And it's a great prayer. They're completely engaged uh, with, with the Lord. But, it, it, the, uh, but there's, the thing that's important with God is that a person be genuine in their prayer to the Lord. That's what he's concerned with and not with eloquence. Now, prayer, even though it's a very simple activity, we should never lose our sense of awe over the privilege that is ours to be able to pray. You think about what prayer is. Think about the fact that as a Christian, we have access to God Almighty on His throne any time of the day or night and anywhere that we might find ourselves in the world. I don't know who you have that kind of access to in your life. 
There may be one other person in a, in a person's life that they have that kind of access. Anywhere, anytime, you can get through to them. That's the kind of access that we have to God Almighty. And, and it's really amazing and it's really, really humbling. We should never, ever cease to be humbled by the tremendous price that Jesus paid on the cross to provide us with that kind of access to the throne of God. Because it's only because of his sacrifice that we have that access to the Lord, to approach God any time and, and to do it without any hesitation. The Bible says to approach the throne of God boldly, and because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we can not only approach the throne of God boldly in prayer, but we can approach that throne in prayer confident that the one that sits on that throne is going to dispense grace and mercy to us as he sees that we have need of in the light of, of our prayer. And uh, that is a tremendous thing to know that that is the heart of God toward us. I don't know who do you know that's always in that frame of mind to bless us. Who do you know that's always in that good of a mood? And God is always in that kind of a mood toward His children. And so prayer is an amazing thing, the heart of God toward us. Now, I think that all of you would agree with me when I say concerning prayer that God is very, very good company. He's the best. You can never have a conversation with Him that we don't leave that conversation improved as a result of it. He is outstanding company. But since prayer is a two-way conversation that involves God, we want to make sure that our company is equally pleasing to the Lord and that our prayer with Him would be as pleasurable an experience for Him as it is for us. And in this parable, Jesus reveals to us some things that we need to avoid in prayer and some things that we need to embrace in prayer in order for our time to be, our time spent in prayer with the Lord to be as pleasurable for Him as it is for us. Now, it could never be as pleasurable for Him, I think, as it is for us, though He has quite a Father's heart, but it allows us to approach that. Things that the Lord doesn't like in those who pray to Him are listed here in verses 9 through 12. And He plainly tells us, Jesus does, that the Father doesn't enjoy prayers, the prayers of those who trust in themselves that they're righteous, and then number two, those that despise others. Now, before we get into those two things, those two attitudes, I w we need to address, I think, the source of those kind of attitudes in a person. And you notice that Jesus makes a negative example of the Pharisee in this parable. Now this, this, would have been, this parable would have been shocking to the Pharisees who were listening because they had to think that if anyone's prayers in the whole world pleased God, it was their prayers. And Jesus is giving them a wake-up call that not every prayer... Uh, is equal. Not every prayer is pleasing to the Father. And so Jesus reveals that in general the opposite was true, that he wasn't 
The father wasn't pleased with, for the most part, the prayers of the Pharisees. Jesus didn't want the, uh, the Pharisees to be deceived about it. Now, the Pharisees were the religious legalists of their day. On the other end of the spectrum, there were the Sadducees. They were the liberals of their day, theological liberals. And a theological liberal is a person who turns to the Bible, and when they read the, uh, some of the hard demands of God and commands of God in the Bible, they will... Uh, soften those demands. They will minimize those demands, lessen them. And uh, even if they have to compromise the Word of God or to make it say what it obviously isn't saying, that's what a theological liberal does. Now, the Pharisees were on, and Jesus condemned that all the way through his ministry too. But the legalist, the Pharisee, is a religious person who takes a simple command of God from the Bible. And then they will add a man-made rule or a man-made tradition to it in order to make the Scriptures more severe than they are, more demanding than they already and perfectly are. The legalist figures that if God says jump, then they're going to jump three times just to be safe. So they believe that if God says to do something once, then three times has to be even better. And the legalist tends to believe that if one is not suffering in a personal relationship with God, then you're not doing it right. And no one really suffers in a relationship with God as it's described in the Scriptures. And so they will then add things to the Scriptures to make sure that people are suffering in some way in, in their relationship with the Lord. So they come up with these rules and traditions just, just to ensure that everybody's going through the appropriate amount of, of suffering uh, in that relationship with the Lord. Now, I've found that legalism tends to have two general effects on people. And the first effect that it tends to have on people is it tends to make hypocrites out of the broad uh, majority of people. And when you read the word hypocrite in the Bible, it simply means actor or someone who wears a mask. They, they would call the actors in the ancient world uh, hypocrites. They would have a mask on in one scene and then put on a smiling face mask and a sad face. And that's what an actor was in those days. They wore multiple faces. They, were, they are one thing. They, they pretend to be one thing in one place in life and then they pretend to be something else in another place in life. And so uh, that's what the Bible says, Jesus said, that legalism turns the people into hypocrites. It turns them into hiders. It turns them into actors. Because, and the reason that legalism will do that is because God gives us, by His Holy Spirit, the power and the ability to obey every command and every demand of God that's in the Scriptures. Somebody looks at it and says, wow, that's hard. Yes, in our own strength it would be. But God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to obey any command and all commands of God in, in the Scriptures. He does not give us the power of His Holy Spirit to obey the man-made rules and traditions that are added to the Scriptures. 
So when a person finds themselves in a legalistic environment, they have to then endeavor to keep these man-made rules and traditions in their own strength. And typically, the only person who has the ability to keep these rules or traditions that come from men are, is the man who was the origin of the rule or the tradition. He loves the rule. He loves the tradition. It's a part of his personality. He can do it in his sleep. It's how he's made. The problem is, is he then puts it on everyone else. And not everyone else is made that way. And God knows they're not made that way. And so now they begin to try with all of their might to do these things and they discover that they are not able to do it. They don't have the power to do it. And so they fail and they fail and they fail in their ability to keep these man-made rules and traditions. And then rather than recognizing what's happening to them and denouncing the legalism for what it is, they settle for giving the appearance of keeping the rules and the traditions in public, but then they disregard them in private. And it, legalism forces people into a double life. But not everybody struggles with legalism. There are some people who actually thrive in legalistic environments. They love the severity of it. They like a challenge. They tend to be very, very disciplined people. They really do excel in these kind of environments. They keep every single man-made rule or tradition, both privately and publicly, and they long for someone to come up with more of them. Now, the danger that that kind of person faces is what Jesus denounces here, and that is the tendency, ultimately, to become self-righteous, and then, number two, the tendency to, become, to begin to despise others. In other words, to develop a self-opinion of self-righteousness and pride, and then concerning one's opinion of others, legalism tends to produce a heart that despises others who cannot or will not keep these rules and keep these traditions. And one of the problems with the Pharisees, both then and now, is that they considered both of these traits admirable, when in fact they're an affront to God. And that is how out of touch they were with the heart of God. Now notice in verse 9 the two things Jesus is denouncing here. First, the attitude of the person who approaches the Lord in prayer, who is trusting in themselves that they are righteous. And th that is the person who has a very high opinion of their righteousness and their worthiness to approach God in prayer. They have no sense of their sinfulness, no sense of their great unworthiness apart from Christ to approach God in prayer. There's no sense of humility. There's no sense of awe as they approach God in prayer. And in fact, it's very clear from the Pharisee's prayer that he possessed a very high opinion of himself. He was very confident that he was, and his prayer uh, 
was a great, great blessing to the heart of God. In fact, that it was God's blessing to be talking to him rather than the other way around. Maybe God needed a substitute on days that he might want to take off. This Pharisee would, was ready to fill in. Now, it's kind of funny because heaven must get a fair amount of this stuff for Jesus to address it. Now, the second thing that Jesus denounces here is the attitude of the person who despises others. And the Greek word for despise in verse 9 means to look down on others. It means to count others as nothing. And so here again is the person who views himself as worthy of this access to God, but he views others as unworthy of this access to God. And everything about this, this Pharisee exudes pride. One of the great verses in the Bible uh, to keep our pride reined in is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, where God declared through Isaiah, but we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousnesses, the good things that we do, are like filthy rags. Here's how another translation put it. All of us have been sinful. Even our best actions are filthy through and through. Now, from God's perspective, each of us has cause enough not only to be humble in our approach to God, but to be humble and to be compassionate in our attitude toward our fellow man. Someone has said that, prayer, that humility is made up of two things, and that is honesty and a good memory. And it's true. That will humble every single one of us. We're honest about our past, and, and we have a good memory about it. No one who is honest about themselves and possesses a good memory will be inclined to point finger at fellow sinners who are trying to draw near to God themselves. So again, everything about this Pharisee exudes pride. His pride revealed in how he sees himself, his pride revealed in how he sees other people. And Jesus declared that such a person prays, verse 11, with himself. That's a terrible thing to do, isn't it? To discover I've been praying all this time and I've been praying with myself. Jesus says when a person prays with these attitudes that they pray with themselves. And outwardly, here's this Pharisee. He's given the appearance of praying to God, talking to God, but the man is actually not focused on God at all. He's focused completely upon himself. And, and because he is, he's in, essentially talking to himself. The purpose of the prayer isn't to talk with the Lord, isn't to communicate to Him, isn't to hear from Him, but to exalt Himself and to put everybody else down. And Jesus reveals here, it's really heavy. It's really very, very heavy what Jesus is saying here. Jesus declares here that the Father finds no pleasure in those kinds of prayers and that He will not participate in that conversation. 
I think it sometimes it's, I think it certainly searches all of us. Or sometimes we look at our prayers and we're praying to the Lord and say, Boy, that was tremendous fellowship that I had with God. There was such a strong witness of the Spirit to that. And what a sweet time that it was. And then another time we might pray and say, Well, I felt like I was praying with myself today. And it might be good to look at what we prayed and how we prayed to the Lord and the content of it. And to make sure, as Jesus encourages us here, to make sure that we weren't heading someplace in prayer that forced the Lord to go silent in the conversation. But notice he also, uh, Jesus declares things that the Father does like in those who pray to him in verse 13. He uses the example of a tax collector. And in that culture, uh, being a tax collector was the for Rome was just the most hated professions possible for a Jew. So this guy, this tax collector that Jesus makes the hero of the parable, this guy was very much disliked by Jews in general and especially disliked uh, by, by the Pharisees. But notice that this tax collector has a love for God. You cannot tell a book by its cover. You can't do it. Can't tell a person by their title. And notice how he approaches the Lord in prayer there at the temple. God tells us, Jesus tells us a couple of things about how he approaches God physically and then how he approaches God verbally. And physically, notice where he stood. He stood afar off from the temple. The Pharisee goes right up toward, you know, the holy place and the temple and the prominent kind of place. And this man, he stands very far off in the courtyard. Concerning his posture, we're told that he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven while praying. And instead he would just beat his breast, and that was an expression of his heartbrokenness over his own sin. And then verbally we notice the prayer itself. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's how he approaches God. He approaches God as a sinner in need of the mercy and the grace of of God. Additionally, he approaches, and, and, and everything about this man as he approaches the Lord, everything about this tax collector exudes humility. The one comes to God on the basis of tremendous pride, and the other comes to God on the basis of reflecting great humility in their life. And Jesus' commentary in verse 14 on the parable is that when the tax collector collector left the temple to return home he left justified and when the Pharisee left to return to his home he did not leave justified he went down uh, from in the in the tax collector he went down to his house justified in the sense that he prayed in a way that was right and just in the eyes of God the lesson of the passage is that God doesn't like prayers that are proud and self-righteous or prayers that communicate a dismissive attitude toward others. That's a conversation that Jesus warns that the Father will not fully give himself to. He finds no pleasure in it. He finds no joy in it. He doesn't want to have any heart in it. Those things spoil prayer. They spoil the conversation for God. 
but he does like to talk to just simple, humble people who know that they're sinners and that they're approaching God on the basis of grace. He loves to talk with that kind of person. He loves to listen to their prayers. And then he loves to answer their prayers and to exalt them. Our prayers do not need to be fancy or eloquent, but they do need to be genuine and they do need to be humble. Good, good things Jesus reveals to us here about heaven's perspective on prayer. He likes humility, God does. He dislikes pride and those who pray to him. Good thing to have tucked away in our hearts, allowing this passage, as the Bible says, to thoroughly furnish us under every good work. That is to allow the Word of God to make us into the Christians that God wants us to be. Now, if you sit here today and you don't know Christ yet, you've never trusted in Jesus as your, your Savior, what you need to take away today from this lesson is look at this tax collector, how he approaches God, wasn't afraid to approach God, to come to God because of his sinful past. And no one should ever hesitate in coming to God and lifting up a prayer asking for salvation. No one should hesitate because of the greatness of the sin in our past. The Bible says, and Paul declared it himself, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that God came into the world to save sinners. And Paul wrote it further and said, of whom I am chief. Now, I disagree with him related to that. So I think a lot of you are worse sinners than Paul ever was. <laughs> now, we know what he's saying, right? We all feel that way. Paul felt like the fact that God saved him in order to give hope to any sinner that God will accept us as we come to him in humility and we come to him with a genuineness to trust in Jesus for our salvation. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after this service. They're going to have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to begin a personal relationship with God today through Jesus. If you need prayer for anything this morning, these same men and women would love to pray with you and pray for you. Let's stand together and we'll pray now.